0: Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast, where we want to know God, love people, and reach our world. A phrase we often say at Grace Life is, making much of Jesus. But what does that really mean? Is it just worship on a Sunday morning, or can it be a part of our everyday? Join us for our final series of the year on worship. And be sure to subscribe to our new YouTube channel, where you can find our video messages as well as exclusive content that you can't find anywhere else. Now, let's get into this week's message.
1: Well, today is the last day in a series we've been doing now. This is part four on worship. And as I told you, when we started this series, we weren't just going to talk about how to sing songs for four weeks. That would have been rough, wouldn't it? Yeah, there you go. So, hey, what did we do? Well, we started off the series answering the question, what is worship? What is worship? It is more than singing songs. It's Every choice we make, it's every response to everything in life, it's every attitude we have. We ended that message by coming up with this. Worship is life. Worship is life. Worship is every single thing that we do and offer to Him. And so then for the next three weeks, including today, We've put an adjective, I think it's an adjective, I didn't do so well in grammar, I'm pretty sure it's an adjective in front of of worship for each one of them, and we talked about hungry worship in part two. Kent Fancher, our worship pastor, founding worship pastor, and our, our campus pastor came and asked a very simple question. When we come together, are we hungry for a supernatural God to show up and move? And that led to part three that we did last week, expressive worship, because if we are hungry, we're going to express that hunger. But I want to make sure you, you didn't misunderstand last week. We, we made sure our point was this, there is no right outward action that you can look down the row and judge another person for, right? Were you guys here? we said that, that one of you will lift hands, one of you will kneel down, another one of you will just stand in awe, another one of you will be crying, but it may not look like much else is happening. We can't look at another person and judge whether or not they're worshiping by what they're doing on the outside, right? Right? You guys were here? But we did say there is still a right or a wrong. And the right or the wrong is that we've got to worship God with the same expression that we give to the rest of our lives. So if you shout for good news in the rest of your life, if you clap for something going well, if you kneel down at a time, then when you come and worship God and you're reminded that you have eternal life, that Jesus died for you or whatever is happening in your soul at that moment during that song. All we're saying is that we need to give God and worship the same thing we give life on earth. Give God and worship what we give life on earth. And whatever that is for you, that is the right amount of expression for expressive worship. So you may be wondering, what, what could be left? Okay, so we've got the, the, the dilemma, what is worshiped, and we've got hungry worship, and, and then we've got expressive worship. And today, we, we don't feel we could finish the series and do justice if we didn't talk about hardship worship, because sometimes life is hard, and it's not easy to say God is good. Is anybody with me on that one? A couple of you are. That's good. You know, I was, uh, this week I got to do some of those pastoral things. Uh, Some weeks come with more than others. We've got a couple in the church, by that I mean literally a couple in the church, a family that has moved uh, to another part of this world to make Jesus famous among the Arab and Muslim populations and when they chose to do that they, they knew that it wouldn't be the easiest thing but well you know you still know God is with you and you're doing a good thing so let's be honest we all expect things to go really well most of the time and uh, you know well when they got over there they they figured out life was a little lonelier than maybe they were prepared for and and they'd been through some challenges and they thought some doors would open and those doors didn't open and some plans completely did the opposite. They moved to be in one nation, and after some time there, uh, it it was clear that wasn't what was going to work out. Maybe that wasn't the plan at all. They began wondering, have we even heard from God right? And so as they began making another plan for a different nation, and all of that just looks like it's just going to be perfect, and man, we're finally hearing from God, and none of that works out. And they end up in another nation temporarily just to be there until something else happens. And then, well, it actually, that's where... God had them to be, and things finally start to come together. And just as, as, as things are coming together, just as they're finally starting to get some connections and doors are starting to open, then they have a miscarriage very late in a pregnancy. And uh, well, that, that's hard to prepare for, especially when you have very few people that you know that can woke up and just give you a hug at that moment because of, well, where you are. And then as I was just standing out this morning greeting people, uh, one of our guys came up to me and and asked if I could pray for him because there's a a big decision, even on a Sunday afternoon being made today by uh, some authorities on whether or not their children are going to get to spend Christmas with them or in DSS custody, uh, all due to a third party and and something that happened uh, in another situation. Just life is hard. Is anybody with me? Life is hard sometimes. And, and the question is, how can we say God is good when well, life isn't? That becomes the real struggle. And so that's what we're going to wrap up this series with is none of it would make sense if we didn't bring this into the end. I, I just want us to, to think about the dilemma we have when we say God is good when life is hard. It really comes down to our theology. And and, you know, we all have theology. Every one of us in this room thinks something about God. You may say, I've never been to theology school, I've never taken a theology class, but you still have something you believe about God and life and the way those two should work together. And so when life is hard, we have one of two thoughts in our theology. Some of us, we, we believe the devil's doing it. And and, well, you know, just, man, this is miserable, but it's all that devil. The devil's just mean. The devil's just bad. The devil just causes all this trouble. And and, well, that's good for a while because, well, it makes God look nice, but it also makes him look weak because he's the one you're praying to and the devil's still, you know, making your life miserable. And so then some of us, we hold to the other side of that coin and that is, well, okay, so God is doing this, or at least allowing it, however you want to word that. well, if God is doing this, and by this, I mean those circumstances you wish would go away, well, that, that's kind of hard to say God is good, because, well, look at this. Either way, no matter what you hold, saying God is good when life is hard is one of the toughest things that we will ever do. So what I'd like to do today is share with you something out of Scripture, a great story that I think will at least, uh, it'll help us answer the question, how can we? How can we actually say God is good? If you've got your Bibles, you can turn with me to Acts chapter 16. And if not, it's going to be on the screen right here beside us, but we're going to start in verse 16. So 16, 16 here, and we're looking at a story about Paul and Silas, and Paul and Silas are out on Paul's second missionary journey. I mean, he's out traveling the world trying to tell everybody about Jesus, the truth of who he is, about salvation. This is what he's doing, and then, well, he gets a reward for that. So here we go. Let's pick up the story in verse 16. It says, As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. If you've ever read this story, In just a minute, we're going to find out Paul gets really annoyed with her. And you may wonder, like, what's the problem, Paul? I mean, like, she's telling the truth. And she's making it well known to everybody that, like, you're the deal. Except how many of you know who endorses you is just as important as the endorsement itself, right? Yeah, I want you all to imagine back to the first time you came to Grace Life. And you're like, honey, let's go visit that church. And so you're driving down the road and you're getting ready to turn into the driveway. You put on your turning signal. And there's a satanic cult out in the lawn, and they've got up their pentagrams and their their t-shirts with with whatever on it, and they've got a bullhorn going, come on into this church. They preach the truth. (laughs) How many of you would have not made your first visit to Grace Life? Come on, there you go. Exactly. See, who endorses you is as important as what they're actually saying. So yes, she's saying the truth, but... She's not the one you want saying it. On top of that, she might have had a really nasally whiny voice or something. We don't know, but she clearly got on Paul's nerves. And so we're going, here, here's what, I'm, this, kept, she kept going on for many days. And so Paul, having become greatly annoyed, <laughs> that's just funny, he, he turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. It turns out he was better off annoyed because it only gets worse. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. This was the city of Philippi. Have you ever read the book of Philippians in your Bible? This is the city that that book was written to, and so they're not in a Jewish territory. They're in a Roman territory at the moment, and so that's why they're being picked on uh, for being Jewish, and they say they advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. And then the crowd joined in in attacking them. And the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Okay, is it fair to say at this point, life is not going well? I mean, they're in a Roman prison, which wasn't exactly known for luxury. And if that's not enough, just to say they're in prison, if you missed that part of the story, it's a little more complicated. I want to make sure you understand just how life is not good, this really is for them. Okay, so here's the thing. We didn't read it in this part of the story. If you've ever read this, you know what happened right beforehand, but if not, I'm going to fill this all in. It's going to be great. It's like you missed part one of the movie, but here you go that they were going to go somewhere else. They had plans to go over here, and the Holy Spirit says, "No, don't go over there." Okay, well, I guess we're not supposed to go over there. And so then they plan they're going to go here, and the Bible tells us the Holy Spirit stopped them. Now we don't know if that means like there was a physical stopping of some sort, the the circumstances didn't work out, or once again the Holy Spirit just said, "Don't go." We don't know. All we know is that twice in a row the Holy Spirit says, "Do not go." And so Paul is thinking, "Well, then what am I supposed to do? I've got to go. I've got to preach. I've got to make Jesus famous." I I can't go here. I can't go here. I'm going to just take a nap. So Paul goes to sleep that night. And as Paul goes to sleep that night, he has a dream, a vision. And it is somebody from this part of the world calling out and saying, come and share the truth with us. So you can just imagine how excited Paul gets. He wakes up the next morning. He's like, I've got the answer. The Holy Spirit said, don't go here. And the Holy Spirit said, don't go here. And I know why. Because God in a vision told me we're supposed to go here. And they go and end up in jail. Come on, somebody here is, is like me, You're like this American mentality, that if I'm doing what God wants me to do, my life is going to be good because that is how God treats obedient people, right? Somebody with me? Every time I got a speeding ticket, I assumed that I did not hear God right. Because God knows where the police are. He knows everything. So if I get a speeding ticket, it is because I didn't hear the Holy Spirit say, "Turn right and avoid going down that road, because down that road are policemen. At least I know I'm not the only one with this theology, because that's why y'all were laughing. We automatically expect if we're hearing from God, if we're doing what God wants, our life is going to be great. Did I mention they're in prison? They're in prison in the city they went to because the Holy Spirit told them in a dream to go there. I've got like seven of these. That was just two. How about this one? It started with, as they were going to the place of prayer. Oh, so let me get this straight. So the Holy Spirit says, don't go to Walmart, don't go to Burger King, go to church this morning. And as I'm going to church this morning, I'm doing exactly what I'm told. I'm following the Spirit of God. And now suddenly, as I'm going to the place of prayer and I'm doing great ministry, let me tell you what happened right before this. They came across a very influential businesswoman. She gets saved. Her whole family gets baptized. It's like, yes, man, God is with us. Hand cuss, please. They go, wait a minute. So this is my good reward from my good ministry in your name, God? This is my good reward for trying to make you famous in all the world. How about number four? This is clearly a demonic attack. It's just a demonic attack. Did, did we mention that she has a spirit of divination? I mean, do you ever just like sometimes say, Come on, God. Can't you like stop the devil? Come on, I'm just trying to do good stuff for you, and the devil is harassing me. And, and, and where are you? Why aren't you doing something? I mean, the whole point of this demonic attack was to discredit them. Here's the God with the most high God, he knows the way of salvation. And Paul's like, shut up. I've read the Bible. And if you've ever read the Bible, Paul clearly his personality comes out. I'm telling you, this is not the first time that Paul got annoyed with this girl <laughs> since she had been following for days. I promise you, somewhere along the way, Paul's like, "Just shut up, shut up, shut up, stop it! I'm gonna rebuke you." I tell you, I'm gonna. Re- I mean, that's just Paul. Come on, have y'all ever read anyway? <laughs> Their circumstances are unfair. <laughs> Don't y'all love that word? <laughs> this isn't fair, God. Come on, I know I'm not the only one that says that either. They weren't doing anything wrong. They weren't doing anything wrong. They were just going about their business. They were going to the church, not the church at that time, the Jewish place of prayer. They were just just going about their way. They weren't causing anybody any trouble. If anything, it was the demonic attack that was causing all the trouble. It was the little demonized girl following them around doing all the shouting. Paul wasn't shouting. They didn't do anything to deserve this treatment. They weren't doing anything wrong. Do you ever notice that we are okay with stuff that happens to us when we feel it's fair? We decide, well, you know, I didn't read my Bible three times last week. And I did feel the Holy Spirit told me to go pray for that person at Burger King. And well, I just put my head down and ate my french fries. Didn't want my Whopper to get cold. So I guess, you know, this is just the punishment of disobedience. It's okay. It's dangerous when you and I start deciding when we deserve or do not deserve whatever God is doing in our lives. Y'all know that? That's just dangerous. Sir. But But this wasn't fair. They weren't doing anything wrong. And if it wasn't unfair. If that's not bad enough, it actually was one step beyond that. It was actually unjust. What the authorities were doing to them was illegal. It was wrong. They were being mistreated due to the identity that was shouted about them. These men are Jews. And no one bothered to find out they were actually Roman citizens. Paul was a Roman citizen. It was illegal to imprison him or to beat him, or to detain him without a fair trial. And so because of what they thought about him, because he looked a little Palestinian, or because, he, well, he actually was Jewish as well, and, and because that part was said about him, he was being unjustly attacked for who he was and not giving the, the, the due course that he deserved. I mean, anybody with me? Y'all read newspapers? I mean, come on. We understand what he's going through. It's a total injustice. Everything that's said about him was a lie. The treatment was illegal. Nothing like this should have been happening. So here's the question. In the midst of this unfair, unjust, good reward for good ministry, demonic attack, hard time, what did they do? About midnight. Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Excuse me. Like Come on y'all y'all just join me in our pity parties we have here, you know, but I would have been God, where are you? I mean, you're lucky if at midnight I'm still talking to you. Like it, it, these people have treated me this way. And I don't deserve to be treated this way. Why, why is it your favor with me? Because I am doing your work and they are treating me like a Matter of fact, I'm done being mad at them. It, I'm mad at you. It's you I'm doing ministry for. It's you I'm traveling for. It's you I gave up my home for. It's you I gave up my job for. I used to be pretty high up in the Jewish, like a tabernacle. I mean, this thing was going on. I was the man. People were impressed with me. I had people following me around. They took care of my coffee for me. And now here I am in a prison because I am doing what you want done. I don't... And they were singing hymns They were saying, God, you're good. Even though life is hard. And the prisoners were listening. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. As a pastor, one of the questions that I get asked most often as people are facing some difficulty in life or they're struggling, they... They always ask, where, where was God? And just Why wasn't God there? I can't tell you the number of times someone has said, when we were in the hospital and praying, why, why wasn't God there? When we were going through this, why, why wasn't God there? I want you to know, that's a lie. It's a lie from the enemy. Because, you and I do not have the experience of feeling that God is not there. You see, in God's great mercy, and His grace poured out upon us, you and I have never lived in a world where God is not there. God is everywhere. And on top of the fact that God is everywhere, His Spirit dwells inside of anyone who says Jesus Christ is Lord, which means either you yourself or people around you are filled with the presence of God. His presence is in every room. His presence is upon the earth. The Bible says, where can I go from your presence? Nowhere. We don't know what it's like to actually be without the presence of God. I'm telling you, he was there when you were in the hospital and you were on your knees and you didn't know if the beep on that machine in the next room would beep one more time. It was God that gave you the strength to stay in that room. It was God that gave you the ability to get up the next day and be mad at God all over again. God was there. The question we're actually asking is why didn't God do something? He was there. Why didn't God do what I needed Him to do by that point? If we look all throughout history, if we look all throughout the Bible, if we look at our own lives, the answer is, God always shows up on the other side of worship. It just doesn't make sense. We'd like it to be another way, but just imagine for a minute if you were God, it wouldn't make sense to show up before worship. It wouldn't make sense to show up until there has been that moment of, God, you're good even though life is hard. That's, that's what happened. See, Paul and Silas are singing and saying God is great. That is the whole point of hardship worship is saying God is good. That's what makes worship powerful. In all honesty, it's not really powerful and it's questionable worship finish the story here. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. You may say, that's weird. No, it's not weird. What the Romans would have done to him when this happened would have been way worse. This was the easy way out. But Paul cried with a loud voice, do not harm yourself for we are all here. If you've ever wanted to find something funny in the Bible, this is one of those times like, seriously, Paul? I mean, you were just praising God. I I know somewhere in here there was a God deliver me from my troubles. That was probably the lyrics of one of the songs. Oh, God, deliver me. Earthquake, doors open. (laughs) Paul, run! Are you waiting on a sign from God? It just happened. We're all here. God What? Anyway, and so the jailer called for the lights and rushed in. Trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? See, you know why worship and hardship is so powerful? Because somebody's always watching. Somebody's always watching. And as I told you earlier, we all have a theology. Let me add to your theology. I need you to know, and if you've been around Grace Life, you've heard this because it's just, I just preach this all the time. But it, it, here's the thing. Why are we here? People say all the time, well, well, we're here on earth to, to worship God. Yeah, well, that might have been the case in the beginning. But why are we here now? Jesus already came. He already paid the price for our sins. He's already in heaven just waiting. He is ready to bring this thing to an end. Why is it not ending? Why are we still on broken earth as broken people redeemed? But in 2018, why? Why, God? That makes no sense except for one thing. Matthew 24, it tells us the end of all of this is not waiting on a really good
0: worship song.
1: It is waiting for the gospel to be preached to the people who don't know. Be preached to every ethnos upon our world. The most powerful thing. If the only reason we are still here is for those who do not yet know, then think about that in the context of worship. What makes worship
0: powerful
1: is when people are watching. I mean... You won the state championship in 4A football. I mean, and we go, God is good. Or, or, or on your wedding day, we, we just had one of our staff members get married last Sunday afternoon. Of course, when well, you work for a church, you can't get married on Saturday. You got to work the next day. So he got married Sunday afternoon. You could just see all over his face as he looked at this pretty girl beside him in this white dress. He's just going, man, God is good. You could just see, God is good. Or somebody comes to you and goes, well, well, we just passed the 2019 budget and everybody here gets a 50% raise and you go, yes, God is good. Don't get me wrong. God deserves credit where credit is due and God is behind all of that. The Bible makes it very clear that a wonderful wife is from him. Your ability to go to work and to be a good employee and the capacity that you have, the giftings that are in you, they're from God. You should say God is good when you win the championship. He's the one that gave you the ability to run and to catch the ball. You should say that God is good. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But the question is, if you can say God is good when you win the championship, can you say God is good when you stand on the field and that team just won the championship? Because about 50 feet away, somebody else is going, God is good. Isn't that funny how we do that? If you can say God is good on your wedding day, can you say God is good when you sit in my office with your spouse on a couch opposite sides? If you say God is good when the budget gives you a 50% raise, can you say God is good when the 2020 budget comes out and they say the exact opposite of last year? We're actually going to have to let half of you go and you're one of them. Because somebody's always watching. And it seems like the breakthrough for God is on the other side of our worship. See, the right response for us is to make a decision. That's what we have to do today. We have to make a decision. Is God good because He's good? Is God good because He's good? Or is God good because your life is? a decision we all have to make today. God is good because God is good, or God is good because my life is. Because that question, the answer to that question will tell you what you actually believe about God. Is God God, or is God your genie in a bottle? You see, how we worship in hardship tells us what we actually think about Him. Did y'all notice that, that third song we were singing? I think it was the third song, or I don't know, it was one of them. We were singing this song, Worthy is your name, Jesus. Worthy is your name. Not worthy are my circumstances this week, but worthy is your name. Your name is Jesus. On my good days, your name is Jesus. On my bad days, I worship because you are God, not because my life is good. And that is the decision that we have to make. Because once you make that decision, then you've got to declare it to the world. I will worship my God no matter what my experience on earth holds. Any of you ever heard the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? If you're new to church, there were these three dudes that were told, you will bow down and you will worship a statue. And their answer was, nope. And as everybody else bowed down and they stood up straight, it was a little hard to miss them. So they got in trouble. And King Nebuchadnezzar dragged them over and he was about to throw them into a fiery furnace. If you know the story of the fiery furnace, it was so hot that the people who threw them in died. And the king says, why would you not bow down? What are you going to do? Check out their answer. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, Our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. You just wait and see. He can lift us out of this thing with his hand. He can make us fly like birds. I mean, we might just float like clouds. Our God can do anything because this is who he is. He can do anything. You just wait and see Nebuchadnezzar because there is a show about to happen unless he chooses not to. In which case, be it known to you. It will die in there. We will not serve your gods. We will not worship the golden image. If you know the story, yes, God showed up. And they were saved. They were put in and they did not burn. But they were willing to die worshiping. There are so many supernatural stories of a supernatural God showing up with supernatural results if people would just declare to worship Him. I mean, we've got Paul and Silas. Earthquake gets them out of prison. We've got Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery uh, furnace. We've got Daniel in the lion's den. We've got the Israelites trying to cross the Jordan River. We've got Jesus on the cross. I mean, the stories just go on and on and on of a supernatural God showing up and doing supernatural things. And I would love to tell you that's the point of today's message, but it is not. Because the real point of today's message is, what do you do when God doesn't take you out of the fiery furnace? It doesn't always turn out that way. How many of you know the story of Stephen the Martyr? If you don't know the story, did you just catch the name? He's not famous for living the next day to write a story down. He's famous for being one of the first people to die in the name of Jesus Christ. And as he was looking up into heaven, breathing his last breath on earth, he had to see Jesus in heaven. Come on, y'all, that's a pretty cool way to leave the earth, isn't it? But he's still Stephen the martyr. He still died, even though he was declaring God good, serving him right up until the last minute. God didn't show up for that one. See, every single one of us, we've got to make a decision. Is God good because God is good? Or is God good because your life is? My wife and I, some of you have heard this story, but it's as good a time to tell it as any. We had a, our second child was diagnosed with a a fatal birth defect and We carried her to term believing that we have a supernatural God that will show up on the other side of worship. If we would just carry this child declaring to the world that our God is good and our God will do a miracle. And seven months later, our God did not do a miracle. But one year later, exactly, on what would have been her first birthday, My wife went in for an ultrasound with what is now our second child. And they said, we're sorry to tell you it's going to happen again. And as distraught as she was, she couldn't drive and was in no condition for that. So I went and picked her up and I brought her home and I got her situated in in the home. And We'd had a year to go through the why, God, come on, why didn't you move? Why didn't you heal our little girl? We'd had a year to go through, God, I am angry. We had been through every emotion there possibly was. We had been through the, I wonder if I should even believe what I believe. I mean, I say that I believe in a God who moves and then God didn't move. and I, I'd been through that. I was in a different place at this point. So after I got my wife situated, I walked out to our driveway because I needed to be somewhere away from her. I was having a moment that I didn't want to bother her. I wanted her to have she, she was in a different moment. And I, I just knew that I had to do something. and So I went out to my driveway. I didn't care who was watching. I'm sure it was a funny sight. I knew God was watching. I was pretty darn sure there was at least one demon watching who would give the message to the one I wanted to hear. And I went out to my driveway because we had had someone pray over us before, long ago, that had said, your house is going to be filled with your children. You're going to have a house full of children. It's all I ever wanted. And as we're trying to have our second child now for the second time, and apparently unsuccessfully, I went out to my driveway and I shouted. I didn't care who heard, except for the one I was shouting to. You can take a hundred of our kids, but I will not stop worshiping my God. And His word over my life will prove true. At that moment, I didn't know if I was going to be the next Abraham story. How many? I mean, do the math. hundred kids, I'll be hundred years old, but God is going to do what God's going to do. I can never prove it, but I believe that is the moment that broke something. Because our second child was supernaturally healed. He's actually sitting around here somewhere running a camera or something. It was a decision. It was a decision right then that God is going to be God no matter how many times we go through this. And it's a story some of you need to hear. I just had a couple come up to me after the service, first service, and said, we've lost three children in the last six months, three pregnancies. And they were really struggling. They were kind of only dragged here because, well, you know, Christmas time, you get dragged to church with your family, don't you? Some of us need to hear so that we can make a decision to say God is good, even when life is hard. And that's the question I have for you today. Will you say God is good? Will you worship God when life is hard? I want to be honest with you. This is kind of the whole point of the series. see, none of it would make any sense without this. What good would it do to convince you that you you can expect the supernatural God to show up when his people come together and and, and you'd think there's something magical about this room. What good would it do to convince you that, that we do need to be a little more expressive? We need to show God what he's doing in our lives and how grateful we are for that. What good would any of that do if the first time life was hard outside of these walls, we walk away from who he is? How would that be worship? And how would that be meaningful for any of us when we come back into this room? This, right here, this moment, is this entire series coming full circle, coming to what really matters because what matters is I'm not going to take four weeks to preach on worship every other month. And a new year is coming and a new opportunity for for promotions and layoffs, for pregnancies and miscarriages for weddings, and marriages that struggle. Are we going to say God is good when life is hard? You see, this series, this idea was really, it was born out of something, or at least today's message was born out of something that that God just, he began to put into me, and, and I don't really know where it came from or why. but every thursday morning it's the last we work sunday to thursday so every thursday morning in order to prepare for the weekend any staff anywhere gathers in the auditorium here and we pray for what god's going to do in this room over the weekend and sometimes we have other people come and join us you're always welcome thursday morning is 9 a.m anybody who wants to be here and pray we pray just for the weekend just for these hours just for what god's going to do in this place and so way back over a year ago, when we were in our old little building, God just put something to my spirit. And I just started praying. I even had staff members go, where'd you get that from? And it was just, I had a desire. I believe it's from God. And so I started praying this I said, God, as we come into this place, as we lift up our hands to praise you, that you would reach down from heaven and you would heal us, that you would touch broken bodies, that you would Heal hard hearts. I, I just wanted to see God do I wanted to. I wanted to hear somebody in the middle of a song just go, Yes! My back isn't hurting anymore. I, was just, I just wanted that. And I know we have a prayer team that's here at the end of the service. But the danger then, because y'all know what we do. We glorify things and we glorify people. And if you go up to the, the prayer team and Karen prays for you and your back is healed, you're going to go, Hey, you need to go get Karen to pray for you. I mean, we, it, it, the Israelites did it with the thing Moses used to hold in his hand, looked like a snake. I mean, they, they just started worshiping that instead of the God that gave it to them. We, we would turn, I just wanted God to do what only God, nobody's praying for you, nobody's touching you, you just lift up hands and go, God, you are good. And suddenly your back is healed. That was my prayer. I always had a vision that it was people with back pains, God would start with the back, somebody whose back hurts. And then it occurred to me, Over these three weeks we've been doing this series, my very specific actual prayer was as they would lift up hands, you would touch their broken bodies. Now just follow this because my wife just went through years and years of chronic pain and she actually right now is in physical therapy for her back. And I can tell you that if you need a supernatural healing in your back, the hardest thing for you to do is to lift your hands up. You see, the hardest thing for us to do is what hurts. And when we say God is good in the midst of something that hurts, And for you, that may not be your back, and it may not be lifting hands. Lifting your hands might be easy for you, but it might be saying that God is good in the midst of this marriage that you just think has no answer, because you think that person's heart is so far gone. For you, it it might be saying God is good. Your greatest hurt might be when you look at your finances and you just don't know how. Actually, your greatest hurt might be giving in the midst of your finances. You know what the coolest part of this story is? God answered this prayer at least once last week because as I was sharing it with the staff that I was going to talk about it, they said, oh, by the way, that happened last Sunday. It was actually Walter sitting right over there. Walter had a pinched nerve. He didn't even know he'd be praying this, and it hurt him to lift his hands. But if y'all know anything about Walter, he's going to lift his hands anyway. And so as Walter could barely lift his hands because of the pain, he just chose to do it. And just in worship, no one praying for him, nobody knowing anything, nobody could get any credit but the God in heaven. As he just lift up, lifts up his hand, his pensioner immediately released, and now he can lift up his hands. He has no pain anymore. And I'm thinking and hoping that is just the beginning of what I believe God wants to do. Here, I believe every Sunday, we're going to begin to hear stories, man, I, I, I was just in a place with my back. I, was, I had something in my shoulder. I was scheduled for surgery with my knee. Man, I, I use a cane because of my hip. Man, I, I'm, I'm seeing a divorce attorney because of the condition of my heart or my spouse's heart or whatever it is. I don't, whatever. I just believe God's going to go from heaven. That disc right there, it's just like a brand new one. I've made a few just so you know. Oh, and that cracked vertebrae, not cracked anymore. Oh, and that bone spur, no need for surgery there. And that heart that is so hard that hours of counseling, nothing has ever cracked it. Soft, soft. I believe that's what God will do. I believe that's the way God responds to his people. But it's not because our life is good. It's because that's who he is. Who you worship God when life is hard. You've got to make a decision. And then you're going to have to declare it. It may not be in your driveway for all your neighbors to hear. It might be just for you. I want to close today by talking to those of you that have yet to make Jesus your king. You know, we keep talking this time of year about Jesus. He came to the earth and he died for humanity. And it's easy for us to think that we're good already. But there is something that has to take place for every single one of us at some point in time. What has to take place is we, we have to make an exchange. We have to say, thank you, Jesus, that you died for me. Now I want to live for you. I, I want to take the gift and give you my life. And, and so you may have believed all along Jesus is a good guy you may be here to worship Christmas because what you believe in Jesus And, and you may have thought all along but you have never made that exchange I want to help you do that this morning I want to help you do that right now in this place but I'm not going to embarrass you I'm not going to ask you to come down front or stand up would you all pray with me right where you're seated it's going to help you start a conversation with God say something like this to yourself and to him Lord Jesus I thank you that you died for me and now I want to live for you I declare in this place you are good I thank you for your love your mercy your forgiveness and my simple prayer here today is that you would give me a life of great meaning great purpose in your kingdom. Amen. Let's celebrate with those people. Amen. Yeah.
0: Thank you for joining us for this week's message. If you've made the decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's the best decision you'll ever make. If you've been impacted in any way, we'd love to hear about it head over to gracelife.church slash resources where you can share your story and find other tools for following Jesus. We hope you go out and make Jesus famous in your world.